Welcome to Podvant Guard. I'm Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And I'm Jordan Lee Williams. And with us today we have Paige Wesley. Yay! 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 I don't know if we yay. Are we yay on this show? Okay. Are we we allowed to do this? Yay! I'm so excited you're here. Is this the intro I copyrighted? You can absolutely yay. Please yay. Yay yourselves. Yay the world. It's all good. Paige is just trying to yes and us into a cease and desist. I see your long game. Oh, if I had time to draft one. Uh, This is a crossover episode. I think it's fine to yay. Hell yeah. yeah. yeah cult yeah, podcast yeah. crossover. Half, yes. half of cult pod. Half of cult oh, pod. Man. All of pod vanguard. Let's do this. We're fucking it's crushing Pod-Von it, guys. <laughs> pod oh, vanguard. Cult vanguard. Yeah. Cult vanguard, which sounds very fancy. It does. It sounds like a cult that you would serve on a cracker. Yeah, they're like, we only do artisanal flavoring, so yes. <laughs> just keep it classy. Cold Pink looks alloy and prosciutto. Oh, yeah. Yes. So Everything delicious. goes great with prosciutto. My mouth goes great with prosciutto. <laughs> so funny. That's facts. Guys, uh, today we're covering Frank Lloyd Wright and his culty architecture school. And so we're going to do a lot. Uh, This is going to be really fun, but we're going to cover both Frank Lloyd Wright's beliefs about beauty and about the world and also his beliefs about uh, people thinking he's the best. Um, So let's get into it. I... uh, for sources, I used Wikipedia mostly to nail down some dates and organize my facts. But the whole reason I'm actually covering this in the first place is because the dollop did a really good op- episode on it. Um, however, when I went to the original source material that the dollop used, which is The Fellowship, The Untold Story of Frank Lloyd Wright and the Taliesin Fellowship by Roger Friedland and Harold Zellman, uh, which is an incredibly well-researched book. I found a few things that the dollop omitted that I think are really important to understanding who Frank Lightred was as person, why his school was so problematic, and how a lot of the info about this was erased from the cultural narrative of who Frank Lightred is. Mm. Um, so in order to do this story justice, it's probably going to be three parts, maybe four, but I'm going to try to keep it, keep it quaint, if you will. Um, If you don't know who Frank Lloyd Wright is, he's an architect that pioneered organic architecture, which is basically the idea that buildings should exist in harmony with the natural landscape. And fun fact, uh, famous libertarian Ayn Rand, who believes that the concept of altruism is evil, based the character Howard Rourke from The Fountainhead on Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, man, if there's one person's books that you don't want to be in as a character, (laughs) it's got to be Ayn Rand. Oh, yeah. The person who's like, charity is bullshit. Yeah. And (laughs) it makes so much sense once once we get into Frank Lloyd Wright, both as an architect and his beliefs about the world, why someone basically without a soul would think that he was pretty great. So, <laughs> if yeah. Ayn Rand's like this guy gets it, you might have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, question man. people that Ayn Rand loves for sure. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright was originally born Frank Lincoln Wright in Richland Center, Wisconsin, on June eighth, eighteen sixty-seven, on a dark and stormy night. Ooh. Wait, was he really? <laughs> yeah. That's what his mom told him anyway. His mother told him (laughs) yours was a prophetic birth. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's biggest fan was his mom. And his second biggest (laughs) fan was Frank Lloyd Wright. So. (laughs) Well, I kind of, like you said, Lincoln, right? Frank Lincoln, right? I'm wondering why he changed it. I was just about Um, to say, who's like Lincoln? No, dorkier. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's like, what's a name that's the same letter as Lincoln, but doesn't have the cool cachet of freeing the slaves? <laughs> cachet. We're going to get into why, actually, because there's a reason. But um, oh. he was actually named after Abraham Lincoln. His dad fucking loved Abraham Lincoln, and he huh. fucking hated his dad. So that's why he changes it. Oh, okay. um, 
Yeah. So it's oh, pettiness man, through men of history. Wait, this it? is uh, the, we have the trifecta. This is a man with daddy issues. His mother <laughs> and he have a too close relationship, and he loves himself. Let's go. I wonder what where is he? It Every went guy wrong. in Los Angeles. Damn. Hey. Oh. Hey. And that's what I was thinking. There is hey. I think there's something on the spectrum of like your mom completely ignoring that you exist, or like wish you were something else, and being like, "I made God." often end up on the same page somehow Somehow. and i fall in love with all of them is frank lloyd wright single call me ladies what up he is windows dog (laughs) um so i want to say too that before we get started a lot of the information about frank lloyd wright's early life like the stories that we hear about his childhood come from Frank Lloyd Wright himself for the most part. So we have to take those with a grain of salt, Um, especially when we're talking about his own greatness and prodigal abilities, because (laughs) consider the source, you know, Uh, just think about (laughs) it. I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty common cult leader thing to be like, I don't know if you guys know, uh, but I'm the best. And here's why I should sleep with all of your wives and you should give me all your money. Yeah, that sounds about it's, right. That sounds about right. It's such a childlike thing to come back and be like, did you guys see what I did? And be like, you didn't do that. I'm like, you're the only person that saw that happen. <laughs> My dad is Absolutely. Jesus. He can beat up your dad on the astral plane. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I did, I did know a Latin girl that used to try to win arguments like that in kindergarten until our teacher told us that her dad's name was Jesus and she was really just trying to throw her weight around to a bunch of ignorant suburban kids. <laughs> Oh, I I respect that Moxie though. Because <laughs> like, she was like, hilarious. "My dad's Jesus," and we were like, "Here's the thing, lady. This kid keeps trying to win all the arguments by saying her dad is Jesus." And I remember specifically an old white woman going, "Her dad's name is Jesus." Like she does it all the time. <laughs> oh I can't, man, that's great. I can't breathe. <laughs> It work if you're under like ten. It works at least once. You'll be like, I feel like you're bullshitting me, but I'm still gonna let you skip me in line at the water fountain just in case. Oh my god! Oh I just feel god. like if you tried to do that in a like an elementary school in Los Angeles, you'd get like four other kids. Like my dad is also Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. All our dads are Jesus. Get what in line. That's what I mean. She took advantage of our suburban individuality as minorities and shook oh, us all down. Wow. <laughs> and that's how to make the system work for you. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes. So Wright's home life was pretty abusive, even considering the times. Um, Frank's father, William Wright, was a diminutive, quiet man, but he packed a punch, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, he was a Baptist preacher and music teacher. And before marrying Wright's mother, he had two other kids with a wife who died in childbirth. William married Frank's mother this is a direct quote from the book 24 year old spinster which wow hurtful <laughs> thanks guys thanks a lot as someone who got married in their early 30s ouch ouch <laughs> thanks as a lot single at 33 fuck y'all fuck every one of you and this book <laughs> And 1863. Fuck 1863. Yeah, uh, 24 drag queens were still doing body shots off my boobs at gay bars. Like, I, <laughs> 24 page was not the marrying page by a long shot. <laughs> Absolutely not. And none of us should ever be again. Uh, but 24-year-old spinster and school teacher Anna Lloyd Wright uh, was... The, the apple of his eye, if you will, uh, his dying wife basically told him, like, she'd make a good second mom. And she did not. Oh, God. Uh, she was the worst. Anna was. <laughs> Calling it from the deathbed, though. That's some king shit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm leaving, but I see your next bitch. Bye. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> I choose my successor. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's the Lion King. What is this? I don't. 
That's just on my very oh, yes. Be like, Anything. hey, yo, Jake, Christina Hendricks, good luck. Just like. <laughs> Absolutely. Would but love to I see think it. I heard why he changed his uh, or where he got Lloyd from. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anna Lloyd Wright loves his mommy. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright loves his mommy. Anna was an independent woman who was taller than her husband and rode horses like a man. That's why she was a spinster. Lady. Dude, she sounds great. I know, right? Except for this part. I feel like they use spinsters so off that it doesn't insult me. It just makes me laugh. It's like if like 24-year-old spinster is like if you looked at an 11-year-old and was like, get a job. Like it's just so off. that I can't be insulted. Like, this 15-year-old doesn't even have a 401k. Like, it's just so <laughs> off. Oh, how are you planning well, for retirement, was... six-year-old? <laughs> yes, it's so weird. You said she was a teacher, right? Yeah, she was a school marm, mm. Yeah, because teachers were not allowed to date. They were not allowed to be in the company of men. Yeah. So a lot of them were considered spinsters, just regardless because By trade. they yes exactly so yeah, really you're gonna teach kids yeah if, if you're gonna keep teach kids you can't be touching dicks basically exactly <laughs> hey, that makes you incapable of teaching sex children work and weaving <laughs> i don't know about y'all but every time i've touched a dick i go completely illiterate and it is a problem <laughs> Can't teach the children. Because like, now I'm just imagining a school teacher that finally gets dicked down and she's just like pushing on a pull door and can't even get into school. Like, what did they think happened? Uh, do they think spinster just means smart? Because then I'm cool with it. He married a 24 year old smart lady. And I'm like, yeah, great. Good yeah. for you. Like, she's just so full of cum, she can teach everyone long division now. Like, none of these things are connected. I like that it's long division specifically. Not short division or girthy division, long division. (laughs) Well, we know what Katrina likes now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about your long division later. Um, Oh, my God. Anna was an abusive stepmother who once beat her stepdaughter Elizabeth with a meat tenderizer, but who doted on her own son. Yeah, she's a she did a meat tenderizer. <laughs> oh, was she meat on... tenderizer? Yeah, was she gonna cook her later? What the hell are you doing? The <laughs> That's dad, horrifying. The dad had to eventually send his his two previous children away because she was so abusively violent with them. Um, he sent them to essentially like a boarding school. As veal? Because they were already (laughs) his children. Also, he locked up the meat tenderizer and sent it to a tenderizing boarding school. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, although Anna was abusive with her stepchildren, she was very soft with Frank. And basically told him from a very early age that he was, quote, destined to build beautiful buildings. So she shows a lot of favoritism. She wins evil stepmother of the year for sure. And there's some pretty strong evidence that mental illness was at play here as Anna would go Mm -hmm. on wild rages and then just be bedridden for days recovering from her outbursts. Um, Like, whoo, beating that child with a meat tenderizer really took it out of me. I'm going to catch some Z's. Yeah. (laughs) As we call it today, the meat sweats. That's terrible, though. That is horrifying. What a horrifying childhood. And uh, at the time, there was not adequate mental health, you know, resources for even even if she had needed or wanted to get help. That was not right cards for her. It would have been like the spinsters having fits. Yeah, they'd just be like, let's let's vibrate her to sleep, and so she would have just ended up sleeping anyway. And so, yeah, she doesn't have a ton of choices. But she wouldn't have been able to be a school teacher anymore. They would just whether, be whether it's like tenderizing her bits. <laughs> hey, I know what I do when Keith's on tour. <laughs> just get out the meat tenderizer and go to town. It's definitely not teach children. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't 
know. Here, here's the thing. I'm not a therapist, but I'm going to go ahead and hypothesize that this exceptionally abusive childhood and a mother who is telling you all the time how great you are might have a negative psychological impact on a child. I don't know. Just thoughts, things to consider. Um, yeah. As a young boy, Frank was very sensitive. He loved drawing, music, and all things beautiful. Wright tells a story that as a young boy, he came across some men plowing a field with daisies in it. And upset with the death of the flowers, he dove in front of the plow and wept, trying to rescue them. Which is pretty much my whole childhood, too. I mean, I was that kid. Uh, I held funerals for the baby mice my brother fed to a snake. What's up? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, it. I 100% buried a goldfish when I was, like, 24. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. When I was sensitive. a young spinster, I buried a goldfish. So. I wasn't a school marm, but I was a goldfish funeral director. <laughs> it's very uh, niche. Around age 10, his mother saw that Frank had, quote, a delicate psychology and was becoming effeminate. So uh -oh. she did what any great mom would do in this era and she cut frank's beautiful blonde hair while weeping dramatic <laughs> and then <laughs> sent him to work at his uncle's farm in wisconsin how old you know, is he do you know he's 10 so ten. at 10 she's like you're too soft for the world i'm gonna cut your beautiful blonde hair and totally normally cry about it and make you go work on a farm and oh send you away yeah oh, that's super horrible. weird it was his uncle's farm. Uh, it sounds like he was only spending summers there, so he would like spend the summer there and come home. But by age 14, Frank had sufficiently manned up. Though his hair had once again grown unfashionably long, he could now mend fences, make boats, wrangle cows, and shovel manure. And it was on this same farmland where he would eventually build Taliesin. So... In a lot of ways, the farm served as a totem to his own masculinity and also like his growth and development as an architect and as a person. So it's a really interesting place in that way. Um, mm. Around, and I don't know if you're going to touch on this later, but is there anything that he did before when he was younger to make his mom say that about building specifically? Or is she a prophet? She, he, this is what I'm going to say. All of these stories about Frank Lloyd Wright being like, my mom always said I was going to do this come from Frank Lloyd Wright. Fair enough. Uh, okay. okay. So it's kind of like she... when cult leaders are like, God said I'd be the one to lead you into prosperity. Don't ask God. Okay. I swear. That's what he said. Yeah. Look in this hat. Kind of yeah. Tablets. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like she might gotcha. have felt that he was destined for greatness and she definitely encouraged him to be great. Like that was something she wanted for him. Um, but, you know, he played with blocks a lot. Yeah. So like, did she say that to him as a child because she was being prophetic or was it because he was like really into blocks and she was just pumping him up? Like, it's hard to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he thinks so. You know, he thinks that he was prodigal. Um Around the same time, Frank's parents exposed him to transcendentalism. And if you're familiar with Ralph Waldo Emerson or Henry David Thoreau, those are some of the more famous transcendentalists. Transcendentalism is basically the belief that men are inherently good, that organized religion is bad, and that nature, and that nature is beautiful and shouldn't be altered by humans. And generally, when we talk about transcendentalism, we credit the brave white men... <laughs> Uh, who heralded these beliefs, but truthfully, many of the ideas adopted by transcendentalism were poached directly from Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, and they're pretty open about that when they write about it. They're like, yeah, we read these neat texts from India, and now we think this. And everyone's like, oh my god, you guys are geniuses. That's crazy. As a movement, transcendentalists championed women's suffrage and also preached communal living. The Transcendentalists had briefly had an experimental commune called Brooks Farm, which is 175 acres in Massachusetts. And it lasted about 
six years because uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but communes aren't profitable. Yeah, that's usually the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, so... that's where it gets tricky. That's where cult leaders are like, oh, shit, I got to feed all these people. This is a bad uh-huh. thing. <laughs> Basically, well, the way this comes... the, the pipeline from commune to blowing up federal buildings didn't start until like the 1970s. So mm. he was ahead of his time in that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. That's facts. That's facts. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the main reasons it wasn't profitable is basically that people would buy stock in it and then you only had to work as many days as you felt like. And uh, if you don't want to work, you just don't. And that's pretty great. And people were like, this is awesome. And somehow that didn't turn a profit. I'm not sure why. Yep. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. everyone on their con meme was like Alana on Broad City when she tries to be a part of the commune to get good produce <laughs> and just totally bails on it. Like, yeah, yep. pretty much that, yep. yeah. Oh, and also the main building that they built burnt down like the day after they built it, so. <laughs> oh, come on! Yeah. It didn't, <laughs> you it didn't one survive one job long. and it was staying <laughs> unburned. <laughs> That's so shitty, like... Yeah, it was pretty mm. funny. They're like, it, at the party for unveiling the building, the building burned down. And then the <laughs> commune was like, I guess we quit now. I guess let's just go somewhere they were else. Like, the building is done. <laughs> and now the kerosene ribbon. Like, what did they do? <laughs> Too bad we decided to celebrate with all these blowtorches. Who could have thought that would have gone bad? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I want to say, too. Uh, something we're going to talk a lot about in this episode is that queer erasure is real. And I looked into both both Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, and there's a lot of evidence that those guys were not straight. Um, yeah. I don't have to go into every single detail, but the homoerotic poetry should be enough for all of us, if we're honest. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. Something that's, yeah. And that's something that's going to come up in this episode a lot more. So let's keep going. Uh, I yeah, and transcend- hey, sexuality is a spectrum. Sometimes you're gonna write some queer ass poetry. That's fine. Absolutely. Write <laughs> <laughs> write some vampire novels. You know, hey, just write you know what? some steamy do it. do it poetry with fangs. Yeah. <laughs> I bring up the transcendentalists because their ideas about nature, harmony, and individualism would not only influence Wright's organic architecture, but likely their experiments in communal living, which though largely failures, would be present in Wright's mind when he eventually conceptualized his own school of architecture. Mm. So that's why I kind of like, he's exposed to this probably when he's like 16. So he kind of has all this walk walking around in his head, you know, when he starts to go on his own. Now, Wright's parents argued and fought constantly. I wonder why. When he was 16 years old, Wright's father attempted to beat him. But Wright, who had grown strong after many summers of hard labor on his uncle's farm, pinned his father to the stable floor until he promised to leave him alone. So, yeah, don't beat up someone who's bigger than you, I guess. Uh, I've heard many an older brother get this lecture. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Like, don't be too mean when you can throw your weight around because they're going to be the same size or bigger one day. And it's going to be a problem. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, And this was kind of a turning point in his parents' relationship because to punish her husband... Anna pushed him out of her bed and refused to have sex with him and started attacking him physically on the reg. And William finally filed for a divorce. What? Because (laughs) Frank Lloyd messed up the pecking order? I think what kind of happened is that Anna never liked William hitting her son. And I think there was a lot of contention about Uh... that. But she was not physically strong enough to be between them if that makes sense and so at this point she's like well my son's got my back like fuck this guy and so like oh is this what we're doing now okay yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. brass knuckles um i do you wonder i I wonder also maybe if it was kind of a an issue of emasculation a little bit that's because she seems like she has some pretty polarizing views yeah yeah very polarizing views uh i think too that Something really interesting here is at this time, divorce was almost a death sentence for women. Like you couldn't really own property still. You couldn't 
really do anything. You couldn't really have a job. So like to get a divorce in this time was really difficult. And generally women were the ones who filed for divorce after they literally could not take the abuse they were suffering any longer. And in this case, it was actually William who filed for divorce, which was really different for the time. Um, And I think it speaks to just how turbulent and abusive that place was. Um, That's what I'm picturing all of William's friends just being like, damn! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Anna took the meat tenderizer to him too. And he just like has like a meat face. And then they're just like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Yo, William, don't take us the wrong way. But your face looks delicious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you want to go, I'm sorry, you guys are getting divorced. You want to go grab a burger? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like hungry all of a sudden. I don't know why. (laughs) And this is the time where Wright changes his middle name to Lloyd to to be with his mother's clan and also to sort of jab at his father. So this is when they split, you know, Frank goes to live with his mom and share a bed with her. And yeah, that's where it's sounding. It's sounding a little Norman Bates. Uh, Yeah, there's some mommy issues here. Let's be honest. It's a little weird. Um, around this time is when Frank actually enrolled in the University of Wisconsin-Madison as a special student in engineering school at his mother's request. And I say special. He yeah, is why are you doing 17. finger quotes? <laughs> I say special because he was admitted. Uh, he was such a horrible student in high school. He was admitted on a trial basis because he oh. actually couldn't get into the school because his grades were so bad. Okay. Mm. Which, like, I don't know. At this time, or as if he you're... says it, I transcended normal education and then made my <laughs> way to college. <laughs> I mean, that's how they always spin it. Yeah. 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 Um, which, fun fact the University of Wisconsin, Madison is where my parents met, so I wouldn't exist without it. What up? Oh, hey. Very cute. And UW didn't actually have an architecture school, but Wright did take structural engineering classes, which were part of architectural training. He found them boring, performed average coursework, and dropped out after two semesters. Wow. Mm, All right. Yeah, you don't want your... your structural integrity to get in the way of your house, right? That's yeah, the part I want structure. people to have A's in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want you passing those classes. If you failed well, making paint look good, sure, but please have passed make my house stand up. <laughs> well, that's what I've been told one of the like eternal struggles is between architects and engineers is because engineers are like, that can't be that way. And they're like, it doesn't look good the way that makes it stand up. And they're just arguing <laughs> with each other a lot it's on a structures. It's a bearing wall. Yeah. Right. And they're like, it needs to have a hole in the center of it for the flow. And they like argue that way Absolutely. about things I've been told. <laughs> and that's definitely wow. going to come up later for sure with some of the structures that still exist of Frank Lloyd Wright's because they have a lot of structural issues um but also I in fairness I want to say that I called my friend who's an architect because I was like you can't get away with this shit can you you can't just like go be an architect and he was like actually you can like if you you don't necessarily have to get a degree in architecture just in order to get licensed, you have to clock more internship hours. But it's really hard to get an internship without internship. a degree. Right. Mm. So it's mm, really that's like interesting though. A plus or minus. So technically, uh, maybe. Fine. Um at age 18, right, quit university, pawned his dad's watch, and boarded a train to Chicago to become an architect. He's crushing. <laughs> Some of it. this sounds like a 90s like girl going for her dreams like is this the beginning of glitter what's happening i like this i'm just gonna pawn my dad's watch and go chase my dreams like get it girl i'm proud of you frank lloyd right now yeah there's just like that synth music in the background like yes it's just like frank lloyd looking out a window watching everything go by and then like getting out in the air brushing his hair back just sitting on the back of a convertible, just, I'm not a girl. Not a girl. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Get real crossroads from, with it. 
Absolutely. <laughs> For four days, Wright approached several architectural firms, misrepresenting himself as two semesters shy of an architectural degree instead of two semesters in with no luck. Semantics. That is hard-fudging. Hey. That is so oh. funny. Hey. The only two part of that two that's true right? is two. <laughs> yeah. But that what? is, there's a grain of truth. It's a, it's two grains. Guys, I sat in on one anatomy class, so I'm basically a surgeon. Show me your genitals. What's up? <laughs> Show me your genitals. Uh, Finally, on the fourth day, he approached the architectural firm of Joseph Lyman Silsby, who had, I don't know, incidentally just finished a new church in Chicago for Frank's uncle and was given a job. I'm not sure if those things correlate, if the fact that he knew somebody might have been part of why he got hired. He doesn't think so. I mean, that's never happened ever, right? That's never in the history of the world has that been a thing. Absolutely not. You can't prove that that's the only reason they hired him. It might be because he was a brilliant architect. It was that with only two semesters. They were like, we want somebody who went to welcome week and then dipped out. (laughs) No, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. It's full on like one. It's like orientation plus one. Get out of here. Yeah, right. Technically, Frank Lloyd Wright and I have the exact same amount of architecture school because I also planned to major in architecture and went for one year and was like, fuck this, I hate it. So technically, (laughs) I could be Frank Lloyd Wright. I went for two days, (laughs) like cumulatively maybe two weeks. It was terrifying. It sucks. I hated it. It's very boring. Anyway, buildings are great. If anyone is listening to this that wants to do architecture, push through D1. It's a weed out class and they're trying to scare you. Don't give up. (laughs) (laughs) that's true um it was at silsby's office that frank met quote a fine looking cultured fellow with a pompadour and beard cecil corwin in his autobiography wright would recall quote his arms were thickly covered with coarse hair but i noticed how daintily he crooked his little finger as he lifted his pencil The two were inseparable, spending all their days and evenings together. Frank received invitations to hang with other people, but turned them all down, saying, I prefer Cecil's company. Based on the information available, it seems pretty clear that Cecil and Frank Lloyd Wright were in love with each other. Now, they might have been two sexually repressed besties, like me and my best friend in high school, and me and my best friend in college. thinking of I was like I bet they had matching Halloween costumes (laughs) (laughs) but there is strong evidence that something was afoot Frank Lloyd Wright throughout his life had very close friendships with other men that border on romantic love I suspect strongly based on the evidence of this book that Frank Lloyd Wright was at the least bisexual yeah something's not only afoot I think something's a dick too (laughs) Hopefully that dick is a foot. You know what I mean? (laughs) Ladies or not. None. Zero ladies. Um, (laughs) No ladies. No ladies. No ladies. I also like that his boyfriend sounds like Johnny Bravo and Adam Levine put together. Like, I I feel like he picked a good one. I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to show you the hairy arms, but dainty hands. Hey, I love me some hairy arms. So I'm, I'm here for this. Here's the thing. The only photo I'm going to show you guys today is of these two together. And yes, the photo antiquing or at brunch. (laughs) Honestly, it looks like post brunch. It looks like on the way to antiquing. And in the photo, Frank Lloyd Wright is facing the camera and Cecil is facing Frank Lloyd Wright. And I just want to show you guys because the intimacy of this photograph is like insane. I'm so excited. But Andrea, I am going to need a side-by-side of this photo with you and your high school best friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes. Andrea, also, please. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Cecil is like, he is looking at him like he is the most beautiful thing on earth. Like, Yes. Yeah, wait, he, who is who? Frank Lloyd Wright is Frank not Lloyd mustache? Wright, Frank Lloyd Wright is facing the camera and Cecil is facing yes. Frank Lloyd Wright. 
and oh, he has Cecil his, loves him. He loves yeah. him. He has his hand on his shoulder in a way that is so lovingly intimate that it's like these two dudes were in love with each other. Or at least Cecil was adoringly looking at him. Body language usually you face the person that you are most invested in like if possible uh. like i know in group sh shots now we tend to all face forward but like in natural habitats like at a bar or something if somebody's facing you full body on that means that you have their full yes. attention and so yes. cecil is literally like full body facing him but it seems like frank lloyd wright is maybe kind of a uh, narcissistic douchebag facing forward and oh shit. that yeah. is very telling they look like two sexy detectives they do look like I, sexy detectives. This is like production stills from Enola Holmes right here. Absolutely. I was about to say, can you do a Sherlock Holmes where they fuck Paige? I, you, you say, can you, as if you're asking me specifically yes, to do yes. a Sherlock Holmes where they fuck. I don't know where you think I have the authority to control the estate of Sherlock Holmes. I'm specifically asking sure. you to do it, though. Yes, you're right. I mean, there <laughs> is so format. much Sherlock Watson. <laughs> Paige, fire up your webcomic. Let's go. <laughs> there is so much Sherlock Watson fanfic already blazing I, through the internet. Oh, yes. You can I'm absolutely sure. find I, that. Frank Lloyd Wright looks like a slightly more mature Jesse Einsberg. Is that is yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. He absolutely does. I think I think that photo is a great I mean you guys pieced it together exactly. Frank Lloyd Wright is interested in attention from everyone. That's why he's facing the camera and Cecil is in love with Frank Lloyd Wright. Um we're going to take a quick little sidebar. This is all the stuff that the dollop left out. They don't mention at all sort of the queerness of this experience. And I think it sets up what happens later really well. And I think it's really important to talk about. So we're going to just take a fun little sidebar into queer erasure. Um, it's huge. It's a big problem in history. And for me, one of the reasons that it's huge is in order to uphold the status quo, people will say all the time, well, there isn't overt evidence. There isn't overt evidence yeah. that they fuck. Like, we didn't find the condom. We didn't test it for DNA. Like, <laughs> there isn't evidence. But there wasn't a video of that Sherlock Holmes looking motherfucker railing <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I want There's no video. I want him balls deep. Um, no, I, I, this happens a lot with the Kitty Genovese case, the the case where yes. everyone claims that uh, she was killed and nobody called the, the police, which, by the way, multiple people did call, but also her neighbors helped pull her inside so she could die in the arms of her lover, who everyone knew as her roommate. But it was like mm -hmm. an open secret that they were lovers. So there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like the story changes to erase those portions and it leaves out Absolutely. important pieces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And a big reason for that is you have to remember that homosexuality was illegal in the United yeah. States until 1955, specifically right. sodomy, because they didn't even acknowledge that lesbians could exist. So like... <laughs> Being a lesbian wasn't illegal because they didn't think it was real, if that makes they sense. They were like, what are we going to well, do? Arrest a bunch orgasm, of them. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're not real. Their clits aren't real. I don't believe in any of this stuff. But Absolutely. <laughs> if a lady so wants to have a tool belt, she can. I don't see the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The greatest Andrea, tool belt of all time, which is a strap belts. on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't uh, know what kind of yeah. drill this is, but God bless <laughs> it. It's vibrating handsomely. Um, <laughs> and it makes sense that no one was cataloging their homosexual trysts at a time when you could literally go to jail or even be killed for it. That's what I'm saying. That's such a catch-22 to be like, oh, we don't have evidence that would have gotten him arrested and you wouldn't know that he was famous. We'd be like, oh, yeah, there's some like gay architect that went to jail and died that we don't know about at all. And then it would be irrelevant <laughs> that you had evidence anyway. Right. So what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, not everyone is Oscar Wilde, who's just like, gay and proud of it. And yes, I will be in this prison cell for most of the rest of my life. Thank you. <laughs> well, and part of the reason that the, I think that 
straight people, especially very conservative straight people, have a vested interest in denying that this stuff is real because it helps them continue to persecute queer people as weird or different or fucked up. Because if you don't have the historical evidence that this has always been around and will always be around, if you can negate that historical truth, then you don't have to acknowledge the people that live today as queer people as legitimate. I mean, I feel like get comfortable with the spectrum and, you know, that's like, what I mean. The idea that like even an artist was like majority with men, but like had one very intimate relationship with a woman, they will be like, well, why does every artist have to have that? And it's like, maybe they just did. Yeah. <laughs> like the well, ones that were studying. I think too that like, there are a lot of queer artists because if you exist in a world that has no place for you, you have to learn to create your own place. Yeah, And so, mm-hmm. like, if you're a person who is, like, from a very early age, you're like, people are saying I'm this. I don't think I'm this. How do I create a place where I can be this? What I, mm-hmm. what I want to be, right. what I really am in an authentic way. And so a yeah. lot of, like, artists are used to creating everything themselves. And I also think that trauma makes people really creative. And I think that being queer in a world that tells you you don't exist is traumatic. So yeah, that's how well, I feel it- about that. And I feel like that goes for almost any creative person in any format ever where it's like you you work from what you know, no matter what. And that manifests yeah. itself in different ways. And so, like, you know, look at my stupid vampire novel. Did I write a ridiculously horny vampire novel because I was sad and alone because people would be mean to me because I was fat? And so the idea of being so desired was way more attractive and so that's what i created yeah absolutely and that's such a small scale <laughs> like that's the smallest <laughs> version of this that's the least yeah. persecuted version of this <laughs> so like imagine if somebody had way harder problems how that would manifest absolutely. Yeah. Or even the juxtaposition of being a white male where on the outside people are like, please take all of the power and position. And you're like, you hate who I am a little bit. But yeah. knowing you just that don't if you know suppress it. that yeah. enough, you can coast. Yes. That yeah. seems like it would fuck me up for sure. Like, I never get that. I'm black. I lose all the time. I can't hide that. <laughs> like, like, if you're there, I know I like the freedom of not having. I can't hide the thing that I don't get the option. I feel like it would yeah. be stressful to have the option. Yeah. I mean, to, to be able to s- just pretend to be like, yeah, I'm totally straight. This is fine. Mm-hmm. Halston used to fine. talk about that. Halston would get like introduced to people at dinners and one of the younger like assistants that was gay also was like, oh my God, this is so fun. And Halston was like, no, they fucking hate us. They just need us to make them look good. Like he was surprised oh. that Halston wasn't like as excited as he was. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> um, speaking of queer architects, uh, after barely a year with Silsby, Wright jumped ship to work with Lewis Sullivan. And Wright was mostly seduced by Sullivan's architectural prowess. While Silsby spent his time imitating everything from Gothic Revival to more modern shingle style, Lewis Sullivan was creating an architectural style all his own. And Frank was drawn to that sort of like the idea that you as an architect would have your own sort of brand or your own voice or your own philosophy is something that he wanted to know more about and be a part of. Um, and it was what under it was under Sullivan that Wright was first exposed to the idea that form follows function, which would become the basis for his own architectural philosophy later. Um, form follows function is actually kind of first introduced with Charles Darwin in the origin of species, it's the idea that, like, it's it's an offshoot of natural selection. It's the idea that things exist within nature and that every, like, a hummingbird's beak is long because it has to drink out of a flower. Yeah, it's the or idea like giraffes' that, necks and that kind of thing. Exactly. It's the idea that where your building is, it's part of a space, but also the way that it's composed and the way that the rooms are composed have to do with how the family is actually going to interact within the space. So it's this idea that the physicality and the beauty of the architecture comes from the simplicity with which it fosters better functioning. So it's like 
You want to be able to move smoothly between rooms. You're thinking about, I don't want too much noise in this bedroom. I want this open sort of kitchen so I can watch my kids while they play. Like it's sort of creating architectural spaces that serve the needs of a family and that beauty and like comes from serving those needs. Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. Um, and so Sullivan sort of took a mentorship role with Wright and they discussed art, architecture, philosophy, and even sexual conquests. Like, wow. There's strong evidence to suggest that although Lewis Sullivan had sexual conquests with women, he was, quote, animated by homosexual desire, end quote. Animated, animated. like he turned into a cartoon when he fucked dudes? No, it's like the, the, the spinning key to set the motor up in yeah, a, yeah, it's a just toy. Your dick. It's, it's hard. just a dick, yeah. <laughs> His dick's just one of those monkeys with the symbols? What's going on? I'm just, I am literally imagining a dildo with little legs that moves forward, but with symbols. <laughs> well, that's better than, I was just making him turn into like a cool world character when he hooks up with guys, so I don't know cool what's going world on. world character? <laughs> Yeah. What's Cool World? Clutch, I don't know what that clutch is. Watch reference, Katrina. No, uh, it's it's a it's a movie. We'll talk oh, about it another day. Yeah, was, oh yeah, I was, sorry. I was gonna say I'm pretty sure you'll have an episode on Cool World at some point. I was about to say that is not at all our history, but can I do an episode on Cool yes. World? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it. the guy, the do guy it. who. The guy who drew it, the, the artist who made Cool World, had like a very specific style and like a very specific outlook. So you actually probably. Yeah. I'll do, do an episode for, on Cool World. I'll do heavy metal. I'll do Cool World and heavy metal. Oh my! As one episode, heavy metal. <laughs> Fucking no! I'm here for that. <laughs> but yeah, Sullivan <laughs> is because also wait, is Sullivan older than him? Is he like learning he, from an older man right now? He's ten years older than him. They had a very mm -hmm. Socrates esque relationship. Because um, wait, age check in. How old is Frank right now? He is about twenty. So okay. he's, no, he starts working for him when he's still 19. Um, mm. So he's about like around that age, like 19 or 20. Um, and Sullivan belonged to a group of men called the Lotus Club, which loved flowers and developed their bodies by rowing, bodybuilding, and racing. The Lotus Club notebook was the group's publication, and it was mostly drawings of nude men wrestling and swimming. Sullivan made many of these drawings himself, and made very few and very unflattering images of women. I'm not saying he's gay. I'm just saying there's something a dick. <laughs> yes. he's, like, he's like, I'm not saying that I don't like them. I'm just saying I will show you I think women are literally unattractive to me visually. <laughs> yes. I just don't yes. think they look good. <laughs> I just think most of them look like bags of trash. And I am entitled to that opinion. <laughs> That's that's what my dick may, feels like they look like. I don't know yeah, yeah, what yeah, everyone yeah, else yeah. is dealing with. Women are for marrying, not for having sex with. Now look at these nude young men. But also, no, <laughs> the combination of, of flowers, flowers and rowing is so hot. Like, that's a hot-ass combination. <laughs> I mean, rowing, they get them shoulders, though. Like, I have a shoulder thing. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Just broad ass back and then he just gets out of the oh. water and blows a dandelion to make a wish. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I'm not oh. saying that they're gay. I'm just saying this is very homoerotic behavior. <laughs> I'm um, into it. Now, oh, it was while working for Sullivan that Wright met and married his first wife, Catherine, in 1889 and had his first two children. When Wright married Catherine, Cecil Corwin was devastated. He oh, argued with Frank Lloyd Wright about it. Yeah, it's fucking sad. Oh, uh, poor guy. This is a direct quote from the book. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright says, she's awfully fond of me, Cecil. And Cecil replies, well, so am I. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Which is so, is like as outward as someone could get in 1889 for yes. a grown man to break down enough to tell him that he's fond of you and be like, look at my fucking eyes, dude. Yeah. I'm fond yeah. of your innards. Like, be yeah. me forever. <laughs> I wish I could quit you, Frank Lloyd. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh that's my so God. It's absolutely that. 
Um, eventually, though, Sullivan fired Frank Lloyd Wright for taking extra commissions on the side, even though he was Sullivan's like best employee, according to himself, though. I mean, uh, OK, right. I don't know. Usually we'll your see. best employee doesn't embezzle. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so uh, throughout his life, Wright was notoriously bad at managing his finances, and this was no exception. Although being one of the highest paid draftsmen in Chicago at the time, according to himself, he was always in need of cash, which is why he was taking all of these extra jobs on the side, because he literally just could not deal with his own finances. Uh. After being fired in in 1893, Wright opened up his own architectural studio with Cecil Corwin, who had been helping him with his side projects. Which is also some narcissistic shit when you're like, Absolutely. I 100% know this person is in love with me. And it's like, but I still need you to help me. I'm so sorry. Yeah. My wife may come in for lunch. Hope that's not a problem. Oh. Can't relate. <laughs> Can't relate, but Corwin left the practice shortly afterwards and left architecture altogether, saying he was upset that Frank had so little time for him. Oh. I suspect that Corwin was heartbroken. Imagine right. still being in love with someone that has abandoned you for a new relationship, but having to work with that person every day. Corwin eventually married a woman when he was 56 and she was 45, but she died soon after. And there is no evidence to suggest that they ever lived together. They actually on at the time when they got married, he was at a boarding house and she is not listed as boarding with him. So it might have been sort of a marriage of convenience with this older woman who was like a widow and who like no longer could sort of support herself. And for him to, like, get married, quote, unquote, so that he mm. would appear straight. But that yeah. is his also only might marriage. might have been beneficial for her. Um, right. If you didn't want to enter the nunnery, but you still right. wanted to be able to live out in the world, uh, right. not married, marrying some guy who was not interested in women is a very good way to gain like great, a, yeah. to keep your yeah yeah absolutely everybody when, needs beards <laughs> for different we reasons all do. just everybody yeah, grab all a do. beard it's Big 1893 fan. everybody needs a beard for one reason or another <laughs> absolutely when corwin left Wright was miserable saying that place soon seemed nothing at all without him the two men would never see each other again <sighs> I wonder if he ever told him that. Like, do you? They never saw each other again. Jesus. Oh, yeah. this is so sad. It's sad, but it's also Frank Lloyd Wright's kind of his own fault. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I hope that Cecil went on to have a more fulfilling relationship outside right. of what was clearly not a great situation. Yeah. Like, I yeah, was sad I so for too. Frank just because he, like, actually showed that he cared for him at all. But because of what happens later, I'm glad that Cecil got out because he yeah, would yeah, yeah. have probably gone to the ends of the earth. You know what I mean? If he had any reciprocation. Being Frank Lloyd Wright's partner, even historically with the people that he was actually married to, it's like not great for them. So mm -hmm. he kind of sucks a dick. Um, out on his own. If he did, he'd probably be a better partner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man Jesus. Frank Lloyd Wright is definitely the dude that is in the mirror trying to figure out how to suck his own dick all day like definitely <laughs> like dude your ribs are in the way him. give it up and Cecil's exactly. just like what about me <laughs> I can get limber <laughs> so hot uh, so Frank Lloyd Wright started his own business on his own without Cecil. This is sort of him going off into the world. And he started building houses. Frank Lloyd Wright saw the single family American home as the next great frontier in architecture. And he saw himself as the genius that would elevate it. In 1896, Wright gave a lecture at the Northwestern University where he first coined the phrase organic architecture, um, which we talked about earlier. And 
drawing from his father's minister roots, Wright preached that ugliness was a sin and believed himself to be the Messiah of good taste. Wow. It's almost like he's a dude on Tinder. Mm. Absolutely. Well, also, that's like the gayest thing I've ever heard. You're the Messiah of good What? I'm the Messiah of good taste, and ugliness is literally blasphemy. What? Yeah. He, I Honestly, mean- though, work. You're like, okay, excuse me, bitch. That's rude. Like, that is... <laughs> so funny. But to fulfill his destiny, Frank Lloyd Wright would need disciples. And that's where we'll pick up next week with part two. Ooh. No, that went so fast. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, and he's pretty gay. I mean, he sounds he sounds like he and I would have gotten along, kind of, which would make him pretty gay. That's I don't know yeah. if you've met most of my male friends. Mostly gay. Well, he would have been doing body shots off you at the the bar when you were 24, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then carried me home and make sure I got home safely by pushing me there in an office chair. Like, yeah. That's why you got gay besties. A lot of people don't know that uh, the Frank Lloyd White waterfall is actually inspired by an ice luge for shots that you take. (laughs) (laughs) It just goes down. Oh, there was no ice luge. There was just a dude pouring like Bartles and James down my cleavage. It's you know what? <laughs> wow, it was age old. Weird things happen. <laughs> it's crazy. This is this is the hottest. This is probably the hottest episode we've had so far, right? It's definitely <laughs> really? the gayest episode, but which is shocking on an art podcast. Like you'd think there'd be a lot more of that. <laughs> there will be. I think we just haven't gotten to the super gay artists yet like the only gay artist we've covered so far is like he's gay but he doesn't talk about it a lot Mm. well this is like like the most romantic episode i feel like we've had so far and we've talked about people having partners but yeah maybe not necessarily in a way that felt as genuine and warm as what never came to fruition with cecil which honestly i feel like all the warmth is because of cecil but yeah yeah (laughs) that picture makes me like i just want to shake cecil and be like you can do better like, Absolutely. find you a boyfriend who looks at you the way you're looking at this dude. <laughs> I know. Like, Cecil, you're right. a hot Edgar Allan pa- Poe. You have everything going for you right now. Yes. yes. Yeah, he definitely, I mean. He looks like my type. You can say sad. it. It's fine. <laughs> he does. I have this problem right now where every time I'm on TikTok, um, every time I think a dude is cute, he's really gay. And I'm just like, I don't know why this keeps happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went through that phase, Andrea. Uh, I think it's just like a niche of people you're attracted to that I'm may also be gay or bisexual. <laughs> I'm definitely attracted to people that exist in like a middle area of gender sexual. You know, where it's like, if oh, you're like, like androgyny. Or, yeah, I'm like into the like, like a. You know, like if Fonzie was talking about gender sexuality. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. And Fonzie was like, hey, who knows what kind of privacy they got? Hey. 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 Doesn't matter. Hey. I'm mostly attracted to leather jackets. That's what I've learned. <laughs> that was the first installment of frank lloyd wright thank you so much andrea and thank you Paige, for joining us for this compilation (laughs) thank you Um, for having me man here's the thing this is only the first one and i'm so fucking excited to dick around with you guys for at least two more episodes (laughs) of this guy because i know a little bit of what's coming but also i already have learned a lot and have more like I don't know. I feel like he's going to, like Andrea said, the things that have been left out of uh, the doll podcast and other things that I've listened to. I'm excited to see how that develops my thinking of the other things that we learn in these episodes coming up. I'm really excited about this because I've studied Frank Lloyd Wright, but I am the more clinical of the group of us. And uh, so mine always comes back to 
well, it's my degree and the context, and I understand the world stage at the time. Uh, and so it's it's fun to delve into their personal lives, these artists, and like, because I, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright was a genius. If you're looking at his buildings, uh, if you're not he... listening to him talk about himself, like uh-huh. it's easy to dunk on someone who's constantly like, "I'm a genius," but like I was like, "Oh, I just know about his cantilevered buildings and like the." The locally sourced materials that he used. I I thought he was kind of neat. I don't know, guys. (laughs) No, that's perfect, though, because I was also thinking of you, Jordan, when Andrea said he started the school and being like, wait, what was going on in 1893 or whatever? What was the climate? What was like, was the World's Fair just happened? What were we doing? Were people super into new stuff? What's going on? Like, I did kind of think of not being able to place myself in that reference. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I'm excited to see. I feel like Jordan's gonna pop in when we start talking about building and have a bunch of logistical shit that I've never heard of before. <laughs> and more words do. for me to learn. I, I learn so many words uh, from Jordan. It's great. Um, <laughs> but if you like this episode and want to follow us so you don't miss the installment of the next two, which will be equally, if not more, awesome. Um, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, we'll also have Patreon information um, at Pavangard, which is P-O-D-V-A-N-T-G-A-R-D-E, um, yeah, on both of those platforms. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And if you like me as an individual, sorry, I always forget about this part because who am I? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can follow me, Katrina Davis, at Katrina Savad, which is just Davis backwards, S-I-V-A-D, on everything that you care about on the internet. <laughs> if you guys like me and you want to check out some stuff, I'm on Instagram at Andrea Gazetta. I'm on Twitter at Sundress Comic. And check out my Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash Andrea Gazetta. You can get don't, cool. Don't forget your TikTok. Oh my god, I have too many socials. Uh, I also have a TikTok called Andrea Gazetta Yay, so if you want to send me cat and babushka videos with hot men, go ahead and do it there. I just love... I love that it's become a routine where you don't want to tell your TikTok. I'm like, no, please, for the people, tell them your TikTok. The people need to have know. to know. Oh, I I have social media, kind of. I am on Instagram. That's it. Uh, if you want to see, speaking of dolls, my dollhouse that I'm building oh, on. It's so cute. Sweet baby girl. Well, it's sweet BB girl stitching because uh, I also do embroidery. Um, or if you want to see my big dumb mug, I am the Goonie Bird. Yay. Yay. Jordan's mug is not dumb and of an adequate size. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And I guess uh, if you thought I was cool on this episode, uh, you could listen to Cult Podcast. You already are, probably, if you're hearing this. Probably. Uh, probably. probably. Uh, or Horror Virgin or Romancing the Pod. Or if you have other videos of hot men with cats, you could <laughs> send those to me on social media at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok or at Page Wesley on Twitter. Yay. Yay. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. We love, we love you. you. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Don't forget to buy Paige's book. Hey guys, Andrea here. Um, I'm asking for your help a little bit today because Jordan, Katrina, and I are all comedians and artists who don't have any experience editing sound. And because this is a sound-based medium, we have asked an editor to help us with our episodes. Um, We had a few issues early on with some of the early recordings, and we're working on getting those sorted out. Um, And... Part of that is just having an audio engineer. So in order to be able to actually pay him and pay him a fair rate, uh, we're asking for your help. We've set up a Patreon, patreon.com slash podvantgarde. And our goal is that we can pay him not from our own pockets, but from the resources of the show itself, which means we need your help. Um, 
We're also planning on starting to release bonus episodes. We'll start with one a month. Um, and as that Patreon rate increases, we'd like to eventually expand that to a bonus episode every week. And the bonus episodes will be more, um, a little bit more loose fit. We'll be covering art, uh, like current events and weird things that happen because there's a lot of like weird stuff going on in the art world right now, um, especially around NFTs, especially around AI. And I think it's really interesting and worth talking about, but we just need to be able to pay someone to edit that bonus content. Um, I would also say that in terms of the time cost, you know, Katrina, Jordan, and I all are supporting ourselves outside of this show. This show takes a lot of time. I'm probably spending at least three days a week with every episode just researching. We're buying books. Um, Katrina's editing the time codes. She's building our website. She's doing all our social media. Jordan is also researching her own episodes. And my goal for the Patreon is just that it can become something that you know we're not looking to get rich I don't think that's ever been our goal I don't think we ever think that could be our goal but what I'd like to be able to happen eventually is that the Patreon can become a way for us to just pay ourselves a living wage for the time that we invest into this show my experience uh, with cult podcast um, is that it's really hard to make a show every single week and not have other financial resources. So what I want is that this Patreon can eventually become a financial resource for us. It can help us support ourselves and it can help us to continue putting the show out so that we don't get burnt out and want to pull our hair out. Um, we love you so much and we think that the show is really important. I personally think that we need more podcasts that cover history and art history from a feminist, anti-colonial queer perspective and that's where we're coming from as artists and as art historians and comedians we love you we love this show thank you so much for supporting it that's again at patreon.com slash and thanks guys <laughs>